Why, hello, I'm Natalie Zett, and welcome to Flower in the River. Flower in the River is a podcast about a book I wrote of the same name, and that book is about the Eastland disaster that took place in 1915 in Chicago, and how that long-ago tragedy affected my family for generations. I'll talk about writing and family history and what to do when the supernatural comes into your life when you're innocently doing a family history research project. Come on and let's have some fun with this. Welcome back, everyone. This is Natalie, and you've tuned into the 16th episode of Flower in the River, the podcast. Yes, today we are Sweet 16. And so far, we have been establishing the spiritual basis for Zara's journey over the last three episodes. In the last three episodes, we introduced the colorful, quirky, wise, and supernaturally inclined Aunt Magda. Magda sets the tone and stage for the foundation that Zara will draw from years after their time together when she was but a child. And of course, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Remember that not every lesson Magda tried to teach Zara was easily learned or, face it, even welcomed. It was well beyond, in some cases, where Zara was at least chronologically. But, nonetheless, those teachings settled in the recesses of her mind, and Zara also, conversely, had to deal with those messages as well as the other messages from her very skeptical and very logical mother, the scientist. So there's no shortage of conflict for this character and it's only going to escalate. At this point in the story in Annie's granddaughter, Zara is at the ultimate crossroads. She's dealing with her father's death, the revelation from her mother's sister about her Aunt Martha and Aunt Martha's death on the Eastland, neither of which she ever heard of. And then there are Zara's own memories the very things that she's buried and would rather forget. They are now playing on a loop inside her head. And remember, she hasn't moved from that kitchen table where she's planted herself when she received that family history document. She literally is stuck to the floor. Now, Zara's got a question that will take her on the ride of her life. She's not just about making sense of things. She's asking, how do I turn this inheritance of loss and tragedy into something meaningful? We are about to dive deep into the realm of finding purpose and meaning amidst chaos. Let's go. When I was a student at Ursuline College in Pepper Pike, Ohio, I read Man's Search for Meaning in Sister James Teresa's philosophy class. The author is Viktor Frankl. 
and all of us were deeply and profoundly affected by that book. Do you know of the book? Okay, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning is a gripping tale of resilience and hope born from his horrific experience of surviving Auschwitz, the concentration camp. Frankl reveals the power of finding meaning even in the worst circumstances. He could somehow find meaning in Auschwitz, and later he created an approach to psychology based on meaning. So, finding meaning takes a person beyond the usual conundrum of trying to make sense of everything because, well, face it, some things make no sense. While I was at Ursuline, the entire school and the religious order who educated us would be put to the test. On December 2nd, 1980, an Ursuline sister from that order, Dorothy Kazel, and three other women missionaries were brutally murdered in El Salvador. Until that point, the Ursulines were known throughout Cleveland as top-notch educators. Everyone wanted to go to an Ursuline school, high school, or college if they were Catholic. I wasn't Catholic, but I ended up with them because, well, no one else would take me. But that's another story. The Ursulines were not known as a rabble-rousing religious order. That is, until this happened. And as the Ursuline sisters grieved, they were transformed. It's too long a story to go into here. Maybe that's another book. But the Ursulines were and are still top-notch educators. But they also became activists and seekers of both truth and justice. People sometimes ask me why I wear that beaten-up Ursuline College hoodie in my author's publicity photo. Now you know why. I watched this group of fierce and courageous women walk the walk, and I am proud, so proud to have graduated from such an institution. So this experience of having this top-notch education in the midst of this horrific tragedy really changed me forever as well. And having that experience as well as that education also has helped me when I've had to face various crossroads in my own life. Thus, when I began writing what would become Flower in the River, I didn't know what to do. I was completely overwhelmed at first. But then that education, it kicked in. And I asked myself, how do I make meaning from such loss? I only have this response. I make meaning by talking back to the tragedy, as I've done with this book. There's something very powerful about taking an untold story and bringing it out of the depths. And although I only highlight in the book the experiences with Aunt Magda, there were definitely experiences in more traditional religious settings that Zara was part of and that I was part of that also informed 
my own and the character's own spiritual growth and development. I will read the last passages of Chapter 2, Annie's Granddaughter, and in the next episode of the podcast, as well as the next chapter, Zara will finally leave the kitchen table and take some action. Hurl's manuscript turned her world on its axis. Between newfound family and long-forgotten memories, Zara couldn't concentrate. I wish Magda were here, but maybe she is. Magda knew that I would have died had I remained in Cleveland. I needed a safe place far away to reinvent myself, and Minnesota seemed brilliant. The scattergun bullying and shaming by family, church, and society ground me into a pulp. Just the word family incensed me. Yeah, family is the first place they look when there's a murder. Even if they didn't value me, I valued myself and filled that void with a fantastic family of choice. But what about now? Of all the places I could have moved, I was lured to the land of my maternal ancestors. Why them? Could that explain why so much of the upper Midwest felt so welcoming? Hmm. Magda was on to something. We're watched over by someone. Lots of someones, maybe. But who or what was doing the guiding? I always thought it was God, but maybe it's someone a lot closer. Zara stood up from the table and stretched. Pouring another cup of coffee, she looked out her kitchen window, oblivious to the snow piling up on the trees. Instead, she relished the long-ago times with Magda, although those memories also involved reliving her pain-filled teenage years. Yuck! How did I survive? No matter how she tried, she couldn't extract the ship disaster story from Magda. Still, she got something much better. The promise that the disparate portions of her life would eventually converge. And apparently, this was the someday that Magda had foreseen. Her family and even close friends sometimes labeled her a dilettante since she was always exploring new things. Why can't you stay the same, said one of her friends. You're always changing. Maybe it was because of all these people that I carry around inside my blood. Was it possible that her ancestors' lives spilled over into hers? Maybe she needed to look closer at the human genome project that hit the news a few years ago. She never thought of the ancestors needing expression. She assumed people were born with certain talents, and there was nothing more to it. Zara had been an actor, singer, and writer, with the writer being the constant. She'd worked as a freelance journalist for over 20 years for newspapers and magazines while juggling a full-time job in software development. 
She graduated with honors, with a B.A. in business, mostly to prove that she could do it. Otherwise, she had little interest in that field. And her M.A. in systematic theology gave her a chance to study something she liked. But the only fallout was that she lost the faith she once had. Zara flipped through Pearl's family history, returning to the pages about the Western Wisconsin relatives. This is still unbelievable. She again studied the names of her great-great-grandmother and great-great-aunts and uncles. Why did they immigrate to Western Wisconsin and Minnesota? And why did I follow them here? She couldn't count the number of times she passed through or stayed in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which was adjacent to the towns listed in Pearl's document. Why did she keep going back there? She loved day trips or even weekend getaways in or near this university town, where the rolling hills and confluence of the Eau Claire and Chippewa rivers created a lovely ambiance. It was literally where the buffalo once roamed and where the Ojibwe lived. And now she knew it was also where her ancestors' blood and bones fed the earth. She opened her notebook and wrote, I have now entered my personal twilight zone. Hey, that's it for this episode, and thanks for coming along for the ride. Please subscribe or follow so you can keep up with all the episodes. For more information, please go to my website. That's www.floweritherever.com and I'll have that and more information in the show notes. I hope you consider buying my book because I owe people money and I'm just kidding about that. But the one thing I'm not kidding about is that this podcast and my book are dedicated to the memory of the 844 who died on the Eastland. Goodbye for now.